All right, good morning, everybody. All right, we're continuing our series today on spiritual depth, and we're six weeks into it, believe it or not, which is, we're moving right along. And if you missed last week's, you need to watch it online. It's been one of the most popular uh, watched videos in, in Granite Creek's history, and my wife preached it. Where is she? Did she sneak out already? <laughs> She's supposed to be up here helping me, but it was one of those days yesterday. Anyway, we're in, this, we're in this series of spiritual depth. Last week's message was on how to get through pain and loss, how to actually grow through it, and it was incredible. You know, make you cry, make you laugh. So if you haven't seen it, I want you to watch it. Um, today's topic is probably one of the most practical things that you can do to grow spiritually, to just, just to get that peace of mind, that, that solace and solitude that everybody wants, that everybody desires. And the topic is, sounds, it's going to be sounding like a really religious word. It's Sabbath. And when I say Sabbath today, I want you to, to kind of maybe somehow say Sunday instead of Sabbath. And we'll, get into, we'll define what Sabbath is. But I want you to think of going to church, Sunday school, Sunday, the Lord's Day, whenever I say Sabbath. But uh, yeah, it's, um, it's going to be a difficult topic. And I have to start off with a major, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to call it a confession, but I'm like the chief Sabbath breaker here. Uh, this is this is difficult stuff. This is something that is that is that I have to work on myself. So, part of what my message is today, it's kind of like a book report because I'm just kind of like I'm kind of getting through this information myself. But you guys need to know that I'm on this journey with you, and I'm being transformed through this topic with you. And so, uh, I, I wish it was the other way around. I wish I was just like this shining example of of the Sabbath keeper, but I'm not. Uh, I've blown it, and I've blown it, and I've blown it, and I haven't, I haven't quite figured it out. The more that I have studied this topic, the more that I look at it from above, I realize how transformational it really is. And, and we're going to take a, a deep look into it. Uh, when I was in college, uh, I had the opportunity to go to Israel, to go on a dig, and so I did the backpack thing. I started out off in Europe, and I just made my way to Israel. And, uh, you know, I was just, just kind of ragged and dirty all the time. And I lived off of salami and bread. And that, that was my existence for about three months. And um, uh, when I finally ended up in Israel, I met up with some of my college friends. And we went to the Wailing Wall. So I kind of did the tourist thing. I spent the entire day at the Wailing Wall. You guys know what this is, right? You know, it's the, it's the last bit of the temple that the Jews have. And it's just a wall. And, you know, you see all the pictures of the rabbis, and they're praying at the wall. And you, put your, you crumble up your little prayers, and you shove them into the cracks of the wall. Uh, it's, it's, it's a huge historical site. And so I spent a whole day there, and it was Friday, and on Friday, and as I was just kind of hanging out, I get approached by a Orthodox Jew, a, a rabbi, I mean, he, in full garb, and he, he engaged me, he, he sought me out, and 
uh, began a conversation, began to gather information from me. You know, my name, he got my last name, Kapchinsky, which was good for him. And um, you know, what am I doing here? Oh, I, I'm, I'm doing a dig. Oh, which, which side are you doing? I'm doing Ashkelon. And so he just, you know, he just began to get to know me. And then he ends the conversation. You are having dinner at my house tonight. That was that's how he ended the conversation. It wasn't like, would you like to, uh, I would like to invite you to my house if you would. No, it was, you are coming to my house tonight. And I'm like, okay. And by this time, I am tired of eating salami and bread. So a home-cooked meal is like a godsend. So um, I says, okay, this is where I live. I live right around that corner. And, or, or, you know, you go through that alleyway and then up the stairs. That's my house. Uh, be here at this time. And so, sure enough, I went, and I, I drug one of my college buddies with me. His name was um, Dwight Anderson, and he was as red-headed Irishman as you could get. And so, uh, we, we knock on the door. It was kind of a surprise that I drug my friend along. Probably not the best thing to do. But uh, I remember it distinctly. Uh, going through this this little alleyway, and it's on the his house was on the other side, and it faced the Wailing Wall. And then if I think about it today, it's one of the, probably the most valuable pieces of real estate in the world. It's probably priceless, and it's actually his house was actually carved into the stone. So him and his wife actually lived in a cave. And I just kind of remember kind of, you know, kind of had to bend my head down to get through the whole of the, of the alleyway to go through his front door. And then it, his front door opens up. Yeah, and he lives in a cave. But, you know, there's, there's a very nice dining room table. There's, there's tile on the floor. There's a nice rug. There's pictures on the wall. It just looks like an apartment. But the view, the view of the Wailing Wall was just incredible. And he had it all opened up. And, and there were some other students there. And... So what I realized is, is that, you know, he is uh, this Orthodox rabbi. His job at the Wailing Wall was to gather in all of these travelers, all of these Jewish youth. See, he thought I was Jewish. That's the point of the last name. So, you know, here I am. My hair was like super curly at that time. I've been sunbaked because I've been living on a boat for a week. And, and so that's, you know, I, I fit the part. And, um, and so he was a little surprised when I brought my, you know, freckled redhead friend with me. Um, anyway, so we were sitting around the table, and there were other travelers, other students. And at the time, and I'm not quite sure what's going on right now, but at the time, there was a little bit of a, a debate or contention between the Orthodox Jews and the Reformed Jews. And so this rabbi's job was to bring on all these little Jewish kids and to teach them the true way of Orthodoxy. So that was, that was his goal. And, and so I had this incredible opportunity to go to his house on Friday night. Do you know what that means? I had Sabbath. I had Shabbat dinner at his house. Sabbath dinner. Now, the definition of Sabbath is to cease, to stop, and quit working. That's kind of the rough definition of it. But Sabbath literally means to cease. To cease. You're going you're gonna to stop, you're going to disconnect, and you're going to stop Working And so the way that the Jews do their Sunday, their Sunday school, the way they do their church is church starts at sundown on Friday. 
and it's a 24-hour period or so, depending on when it, it set and sets the next day. So their church is 24, it's, a, it's at least 24 hours a day. And I got to take part of the opening ceremonies, if you will. And what I noticed, I, I was smart enough, okay, okay, I was rude enough to invite my redheaded friend who didn't belong there. I didn't belong there either, but they didn't know. But I was rude enough to invite my redheaded friend, but I wasn't that rude to take pictures and video of the experience. So I had enough common sense not to do that. And, but here's the thing. I remember a lot of it. And, it, and this is going to date me, but that was almost 20 years ago. As I walked in, everything seemed to have a rhythm. There was a, there was a ritual to this and a ritual to that. And even though the rabbi talked really fast, there was, a, there was a pace to it. There was a rhythm to it. And his wife, the way that she engaged people, the way that she greeted people, it's as if they floated on air or something. And it... Being in that environment, it's as if time stood still or time slowed down. And I remember specific details of that event. Again, I remember that it was in a cave. I remember the black electrical line going throughout the whole house because it's in a cave and you can't put electricity, you know, in the walls. I remember the china. It was flow blue with the geometric pattern on it. I remember, I can remember the smell of the food that was pre-cooked because they can't work on the Sabbath. I remember there was a student that was sitting across from me that was, a, that was a European and he was on a spiritual journey. He was Jewish, but he didn't know if he wanted to be Jewish anymore. And so he had a lot of questions to ask. I remember him, he was the most engaged individual at the table. He was looking for truth. He didn't care about anything else. I remember his distinct face and his smile. I remember enjoying the food, enjoying the conversation. It's as if time had stood still, as if time itself had changed. And there's something very powerful to that. And us Protestants, I think we've lost a bit of it. Actually, I think we lost a lot of it. And so we're going to be talking about this concept of what our Lord's Day is, what our Sabbath is. And there's a, a, bit of a, you know, a bit of a pushback whenever we use the word, have you had your Sabbath? Have you given this day to the Lord? And we give a, we, there's a bit of a pushback in tr- Christian tradition. And the, the pushback is, that was law. And we are, we are New Testament. We are New Covenant people. We don't have to obey the Sabbath like the Jews did. Oh, really? Okay. I want you to think of the Ten Commandments. Okay? Uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through all of them. But basically, you know, thou shalt not have a Lamborghini. Uh, uh, thou shalt not have uh, any gods before me. That includes yourself. You're not allowed to be a god. Okay? Um, Thou shalt not be uh, selfish. You shouldn't, thou shalt not be a jerk. Uh, thou shalt not look at pornography. Uh, so we have all these don'ts. Actually, we have eight. Don't do this. Don't kill. Don't cheat. Don't lie. And there's two that are, are, that, that are you know, do this. 
The, the one important to do this is honor your mother and father. It's a commandment. You know, thou shalt honor your mother and father. It's not a don't, it's a do. And then the other do is the fourth commandment, which is honor the Sabbath, okay? And so it is do this. Now, in our Christian life, I have never heard anyone say, oh, thou shalt not murder commandment. That's Old Testament law. That doesn't apply to us Christians. Or thou shalt not covet, which is, you know, don't be a selfish jerk and want things that, you, that don't belong to you. That one, I've never heard somebody say, oh, that's Old Testament law. It doesn't apply to the Christian life. But we do this with Sabbath. This is an, it's an, it's, it's an important commandment. And if you read your Bible carefully... If you read the words of Paul in Ephesians 5, I'm not going to bring it up for the sake of time, but I'll paraphrase. Paul says, um, guard your time. You are a Christian. Your time is valuable. Guard your time. Don't waste your time doing crazy stuff and getting drunk and living illicitly. And don't, do, don't waste your time with this. You're a Christian. You have to be a good steward of your time. So the concept of Sabbath is actually becoming a good steward of what God has given you. And God has given us time. Some of us, God has given 80 years. Some of us, God has given 25 years. We're not quite sure how much time we have. But it's his time, not ours. And so uh, we need to, to take a good, hard look at Sabbath and quit looking at it as, you know, okay, it doesn't apply to the Christian life, therefore we can fudge this one. The other nine, those are, those are, those are, those are concrete. Those are absolutes. But the Sabbath, for some reason, we think that we can fudge on the Sabbath, and it's okay. Why is that? Get your Bibles out. I didn't get a chance to read this one first service, but I'm going to read it this service. Um, this is uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 23. This is where we get a part of it from. One day on Sabbath, Mark 2, verse 23 to 28. On one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the fields, and his disciples walked along. They, had been, they began to pick some of the heads of grain. The Pharisees said, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Okay, here we go. Then he, Jesus, said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Here we go. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. See what's going on in this, in this scene. Jesus and the disciples, they've been working all day long. They've been preaching all day long. They're tired. They're exhausted. And they're, they're walking through the fields. And they're, they're brushing their hands up against the, the grains of corn. And they, they begin to pick off the tops and eat them for a snack or for dinner or whatever. And what they're actually doing is they're harvesting. 
That's how the Jews see it. They're harvesting, so therefore they're working, and they're working on Sabbath. You're not allowed to work on Sabbath. Let's take a look at why. Okay. Um, it goes back to the very first um, talks God gives us. Uh, you guys all know the creation story? The creation story, Genesis 1, is by far one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. I mean, we say that about all of our scriptures, don't we? But I love it. I love Genesis 1 because it's so complex, and there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. And then you have the six days of creation. You know, the first day, God created the, you know, God separated the light from the dark, and then, you know, he goes into the second day, begins to, you know, make the waters and the air. Uh, the, the cool thing about Genesis 1 is that it's a poem. It was written at a poem. There's a flow to it. You know, on the first day, God separated the light and the dark, and it was good. And da, 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 da. So there's a pattern to it. There's a rhythm to it. Musicians get it when they read it. And there's six days. And day one actually corresponds with day four. And day five corresponds with, uh, with, day, with, day, with day two. It's a, it it's all lines up. It's all perfect. It was it was never meant to be a history book. It was never meant to be a science book. That might be a little controversial. It's a poem. It follows a, a form called the chiasm. And at the very end, the apex of the whole thing, in Genesis 2, it says, on the, on the seventh day, God rested. And it's not because he was tired and exhausted. I mean, this is the God of the universe. He is the, he's the creator. But let's see what it says. Chapter 2. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. Okay, you might want to underline that. God finished. He ceased. Okay? So on the seventh day, he rested. He stopped and he rested. He's, this is a model for us. Okay? He doesn't need to rest. Verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy because he rested from all the work of creating that, what, what he had done. This is the very first time in the Bible that the word holy is used. What's, he, what's holy? He's making time holy. Time is now holy. Time is sacred. He's saying, I'm going to set aside this, this, this section of time. First thing again, he, he, he stops. He ceases. He rests. He sanctifies it. Again, that's the definition of holy. You sanctify it. You literally set it apart. You break it apart. You break it out of what's normal, of what is mundane, whatever is average. You break it out, and you, you set it aside. It's special. It's sacred. It's holy. And then he, God does something that we don't quite pick up when we read it. He blesses it, and it's good. He's actually enjoying what he's created. This is the model of Sabbath for us. There's, there's several parts of, of taking a Sabbath, of taking a day off. It's not, actually, it's not a day off. Do you know that? You know, your Lord's Day, your Sunday, it's technically not a day off. And that might be bumming you out because you had a long, hard week at work. And I'm telling you, it's not a day off. But what I am telling you, it's better than a day off. Because this is what you get to do. There's, there's three and a half parts to it. It is the cease. 
Again, that's a definition of Sabbath. So on Sunday, if, if you can, if, if, this is, if you're able to do it, so here's the difficult part about our society and where we're at, is that it is not the 40s anymore. It's not the 50s anymore. In the 40s and the 50s, on Sunday, you couldn't go to the grocery store. On Sunday, you couldn't go to the hardware store. This is how much our society has transformed. On Sunday, everything was shut down because people were in church, because they valued it. They understood that this was sacred time. So businesses were shut down. Most businesses were shut down on Sundays. And our society, and again, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta reiterate this. I'm the chief Sabbath breaker in the room. I will, I will work on my Lord's day. And I gotta, get, I gotta get out of this rhythm. I gotta break this habit that I have. But our society is, it's even wired against God having his day. Our businesses are open up. Some of you, after church, you have to work your part-time job because you're not, your, your bills aren't being made. Some of us, you're, you're, it was lucky for you to come to church today because you didn't get scheduled. And in fact, you never know when you're going to get scheduled to go to work. And so you actually have no control over your time. And so... As I began to unfold the secret of Sabbath, of Sabbath keeping, I got to make sure I communicate something very clear to you. We can't get legalistic about it. You can't feel guilty if you're not able to make your Sabbath. But I want you to begin to start thinking, how am I going to get time with God? Now, practically, I'm shifting gears here. Okay, practically, what does it look like? What does this Lord's Day, what does Sunday, what should Sunday really look like? What should Sabbath really look like? Okay, so Josh, you're telling me I need to give God 24 hours, a 24-hour block of time? Yeah. Okay. Different historical approaches from different churches. Um, my experience in the Jewish faith with, with the Sabbath was, it was, it was with dinner. And it was with fellowship. And there was a lot of conversation going on. There was a lot of prayer going on. And the Presbyterian traditions and the, the Episcopalian traditions, they actually try to hold to a Sabbath, especially the high churches. And when I was a quasi-Episcopalian in, in South Carolina, uh, it freaked me out. Because you go to church, and you pray, and you do worship, and stuff like that. And little did I know, you spent the rest of the day downstairs in the fellowship hall eating and laughing and playing games all day long. We don't do that in America anymore, do we? I spent the entire day with these people, loved them to death. They're the sweetest people in the world. But it was very difficult for this nervous little hamster kid to get this under his skin, <laughs> right? It's like sometimes I feel like I'm a poodle that's had too much caffeine. And... I just couldn't sit still. But this was a rhythm that they'd built into their lives. And it was powerful, this, this, this social component. Uh, some of the Presbyterian traditions, you know, you go to church, you, you praise, you worship, and you go home and you have a dinner, and then you spend the rest of the day praying. That's really exciting, right? So probably some of you are thinking, okay, so if I have to dedicate my entire day to the Lord, that means I have to maybe sneak in a meal, and then I'm praying the rest of the day. Uh, Josh, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, okay, 
I get it. But if you actually look at the Bible, if you look at what's modeled, even in Genesis 2, how does God Sabbath? He, he breaks, he ceases, and that's the key to the whole thing. That's the key to starting it off, is that you've got to begin to cease and make this break in your mundane, daily grind life. And you have to make this time holy. It's a, it's a very difficult thing to do. I, do, I have a, such a problem. And my wife can attest to this. She, we can be barbecuing. And she'll say, Josh, where are you? I'm like, I'm right here, honey. And I'm like, you know, I, I, but I'm not present. Right? I ha- I'm, thinking about, I'm thinking about my job. I'm thinking about my bills. I'm thinking about everything else but, but being in the moment. And... The hot dogs and hamburgers are on flames, and I don't see them because I'm not present in the moment. The same thing when, you do when, you, when you're with your kids. Your kids know when you're not present. You can be in their face playing games with them, but they know when you're checked out. So the ceasing and the stopping is actually getting checked in to where the Holy Spirit is. It's, it's, it's the beginning of making the time holy, separating it from the other six days that you had to labor and toil and grind and sweat and cry and pay your bills and mow your yard. It's distancing yourself, cutting yourself off, and then trying to rest with God. All right? That's the first thing that we, that's the first part of ceasing of Sabbath. The second part, which we don't get, this is where the religious mind will come in. The religious mind will say, you have to pray. You're going to be in church an hour and a half. If pastor's preaching, you're in church for three hours. But you have to, <laughs> you have to, you have to pray and be with God the rest of the, the 23 hours. Oh, yeah. You know what the Bible says about Sabbath? You know what God says? Is that he delights in his creation. Hmm. Did you know that you can actually have fun? You can delight, that you can experience joy. Do you know what the purpose of Sabbath is? Hopefully I can get this one across. The purpose of Sabbath is joy, is to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Do you do this? Do you have an opportunity to actually enjoy your work week? Okay, I mean, I, I cash my paycheck. I'm going to enjoy a portion of my paycheck. I'm going to say, you know what? I, I did a decent job this week. I'm going to enjoy the fruits of my labor. You enjoy the fruits of your labor. You can delight and enjoy the other finer things in life too. This is where we don't get legalistic. This is the great part about it. We can delight in, in the aesthetics that God has provided. You can go hike up in nature. You can take a walk. You can get yourself uh, to the beach, get the sand between your toes. You can breathe that salt air. You can go to a gallery, appreciate some art. You can do, the, you can do a big family gathering where you actually enjoy being with your relatives. If you don't, I, I don't recommend it. But you can actually enjoy the, the company of your family if you like that. You know, it, you need also need to know a little bit about yourself. Are you an introvert or are you an extrovert? I'm trying to figure out if Jesus was an introvert or an extrovert. I'm kind of thinking that he was an extrovert 
I'm an introvert. So the way that I enjoy Sabbath is I need to be alone. I got to get away from you guys. No, I, I love you. <laughs> Trust me. I love you guys. But you know what? If I had a steady flow of a crowd of people, I'd be useless to you. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't give you the message. The way that I recharge my batteries is that I have Josh time and I get alone by myself because I was an only child for 18 years and I, I don't know how to play well with others. And so I've got to get alone with God. And that's what, re, that's what charges me up. Other people are different. Other people, they have to have that fellowship, that crowd that gets them excited and people is what energizes them and not, not you know, not time alone. So you gotta figure that out. What's gonna recharge my battery? What is going to bring me delight? But here's the thing. Whatever you choose to delight in, it cannot be measurable. It has to be a waste of time. How's that feel? Meaning that you're not allowed to come to church. And this is, give me some grace on this, but I hope you get the idea. You're not, you shouldn't come to church with your business card in order to, to, to sell a product. Because you're working, right? You, you shouldn't be looking for somebody to, for your network downline. That's, that's called work. So you, you can't be selling your wares at church. Even when you leave the building, you shouldn't be doing things that are gonna add to your bottom line. You have to do something that is a complete <laughs> Waste of time. Maybe that means you enjoy a good book on the couch. Maybe, and again, some of the, the, the Puritans would, wouldn't agree with this, and there's actually a point. But maybe, you know, you, walk, you go to the movies. You know, a, a PG movie. Or, or maybe, or a G movie. Uh, I'll even say this. Maybe you go to Disneyland. I know. I'm, but maybe you do something that is going to give you delight. It's going to bring joy. It's going to bring color back into your life. It's going to rejuvenate you. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's actually biblical to delight in God, to delight in, in your labors, to delight in art, to in delight in entertainment. Now, here's, here's where I, I will agree with the Puritans because this is our American nature. We're overly entertained. And if your Sabbath, if your Sunday is a nonstop Disneyland movie video night day. I actually know people that, that on their day off, they'll spend the entire day at the movies. That's not good for you. That, that is unhealthy for you to have 24 hour, 25 hours of pure entertainment. That, that, that will make you sick. But on the same note, if you don't build in entertainment and recreation into your Sabbath, into your Sunday, it's equally as sickening. You become religious if you, once you do that. So again, you have to break, you have to get, you have to change that mindset, you have to be in the moment, you have to you know, find something that you delight in, you delight in, not your spouse or whatever. You need to find something that you delight in. And here's the key. There's another major point, point to, the, to the Sabbath or to the rest, to your Sunday, is that somewhere, maybe it's when you hit the bed, you hit your knees, you've looked at your day, you have to contemplate 
You have to take a look at the six days that you spent working. This is so key. This is so important. You can't have the other two of breaking and resting and, and, and enjoyment without contemplation. This is the key to your, your Sunday. This is the key to Sabbath. You have to look at what you did those six days of hard work. What did I do? Is it lining up to what God's purpose is for me? Was it God's will for me to, to spend my time working on these projects these last six weeks? Is, is it all, am I leaning my ladder up against the right tree here? And the only way that we can figure out if we're doing the right thing is if we stop and if we, we take a good hard look at our life, as so we look at it into ourselves, we contemplate what's going on with God and with us. One powerful illustration of the Sabbath, the Sabbath is like a tapestry. Now, I, th I can't pinpoint where this illustration came from. I believe that it's an old Jewish uh, illustration, and I don't think it has a source, so I can't quote it. But the concept of our life is a tapestry. On the back side of the tapestry is a big, giant mess of yarn and string, and you might have an outline of the picture of what life should be, but it's knotted, it's messy, it's not clear, you can't see the picture. But there's a lot of frantic stuff going on on the backside. And on Sabbath is the day you take your canvas and you turn it around and see what you did to see if the picture is lining up with what God has called you to do. It brings clarity. Make sure that you're on the right track. It's what we got to do to say, all right, God, am I in the right spot? Am I working on the right picture? Do I have my ladder leaning up the right tree? Some people spend their entire lives working, working, working. They, they ignore the Lord's day. They ignore Jesus. They think that they're doing good. They're meeting the needs within inside of themselves. They spend their entire lives working. And when they come to the end of their lives, they realize that they've been working on the wrong project. <laughs> their ladder's leaning up against the wrong tree. And it's too late. That is why Sabbath is so important. Jesus, again, when he's walking through those fields with his disciples and they, they, they pick the, the kernels off and they eat them, the, the Sabbath keepers are saying, you guys are Sabbath breakers. You guys blew it. it it's, it's hilarious, really. I mean, it's... it's you know, here, they're, here the, the, the Pharisees are trying to get Jesus on a little technicality rule of, you know, harvesting, right? They think they got him. And Jesus, pure to character, says, uh, the Sabbath wasn't made for God. Sabbath was made for you. This is for your benefit. You're not going to grow spiritually unless you can keep this. And here's the great ironing, irony, boys. You guys are so busy trying to catch me in a trap that you're working. Do you see? Do you see them like so obsessed about finding fault in people that it's actually keeping them away from God? And then he says something that that shuts them up, like they don't have words to explain. Jesus says, "The Son of Man, Jesus, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath." And, 
I know that might not seem too important, but to them, they were like, oy vey, and they're ripping their clothes, they're pulling their beard. It, it is one of the most offensive things that they could have said, he could have said to them. They had no response to that one because the Sabbath, that day, that time, that what they considered holy, the first thing that the Bible calls holy, well, it is what set them apart from every other culture and cult that they were surrounded themselves. The Sabbath is what preserved the cult of Israel. I use that in the, the archaeological term because it wasn't a cult. It was I mean, it's religion, whatever. But it's what preserved them as a people of God. It was Sabbath. And at least once a month, at least once a month, somebody comes into the building and they're falling apart. They're crying. They got the waterworks going on. Their life is a disaster. They, you know, everything is, is bad from money to relationships. And, and, and it's just, they've hit rock bottom. And they come in, they talk to us. And I was like, oh, let, let's pray for you. Uh, where, where, where do you go to church? Like, well, I go to your church. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Really? Yeah, I go on Easter and Christmas, and I did the nativity thing with the camel, and <laughs> like, and you have people like this in your life. You have family members and friends, and they're falling apart. They're, they're going to hit rock bottom, and if you're doing your job right, they're going to come to you. And here's the thing. Uh, yes, you can pray for them. You can, you can counsel them. You can give them money. You can help them. You can encourage them, but you... They're slaves. They have a slave mentality. All of those things aren't going to do a bit of good. They might do a, a little bit of good, but what is going to transform them is for them to go to church and to make it a habit and to actually take it beyond. You can actually go to church and not Sabbath. You can come here every single Sunday and not Sabbath. But the ones that learn that secret, they break the bondage of slavery in their lives. And that's what God did with Moses and the Israelites. They were, they were enslaved for 400 years. They didn't work a five-day work week. They worked seven days a week, sun up to sundown. And the only way that God could, could break that pattern was the gift of Sabbath. And he says, you're going to work six days from sun up to sundown. And on the seventh day, you're going to rest. It's going to be dedicated to me. You're going to enjoy your life. It's going to be extremely hard because you're used to being a slave. And see, people that come to you and they're broken, they're, they're in a slave system. Mm. If, you have the, if you're not able to rest, if you're a workaholic, and maybe your life isn't falling apart, but you've got everything together and you've got all your ducks in a row and you don't need God and you've got your Palm Pilot to... Palm Pilot, oh man. Um, you've got your iPad, iPod 5. No, iPhone 5. What is it now? I have one. Um, you have your iPhone 5 and you've got your life organized. You're the master of your time. You're the master of your destiny. If it's your identity, guess what? You're a slave too. If you can't give God 25, 25, 24 hours, 25, 24 hours a week, 
that you're a slave. If it is so hard for you to rest, if it is impossible for you to disconnect and slow down, if you can't break out of the hamster wheel, I just made that up. You like that one? If you can't break out of the hamster wheel, yeah. You're, you're a slave. So break out of your hamster wheel. Take your 24 hours. Do nothing that's productive. And then tomorrow, get back in the hamster wheel. You know what happens? You know what the result is? It's joy. It's peace. It's, it's uh, um, confidence. It's security. The illust- there's a great illustration of two wagon trains from the Midwest going to the Oregon coast on the Oregon Trail. And uh, both of them are religious. One of them had the mentality and the attitude that we've got to get there as fast as we possibly can. We're going we're gonna to push hard. We have to, have, we have to have this urgency or we're going to die. And let's go. And the other ones were like, okay, we're going we're gonna to push hard too. But Sunday is the Lord's Day. We're going to worship. We're going to enjoy our food. We're going to rest our animals. We're going to rest ourselves. And guess what? Guess who got to, to the Oregon coast first? It was the group that held to the Lord's Day. We're going to have the band to come up to the front. Band and ushers. So practically, at the stop, rest, delight, contemplate. Somewhere along your day, get on your knees and say, take a look at your tapestry. You got to turn your tapestry around and look at it. What's my life look like right now? And you need to know that this day, and maybe it's not today, Maybe your Sabbath was yesterday. Maybe your Sabbath will be tomorrow. But on this day, can you sense joy in your life? Can you enjoy the finer things? Can you sense freedom? Because Sabbath is about joy, but it's also primarily about freedom. Can you enjoy your life one day a week? Let's pray. Father, right now, we thank you for a church family that's done the hard work of digging in deep. God. I mean, most churches don't do this. I thank you so much that we have brave people that are saying, I'm gonna, I want to do the, the best that I can with the time that you've given me. I want to grow spiritually. I don't want to have anything in me that's going to grieve the Holy Spirit because I want to see God move in powerful ways. I'm tired of a mundane, boring life. I want to see God move in powerful ways. So God, right now, I pray that you bless our people for doing the hard work, the character development, and the, the emotional strength and health, taking care of our problems so that you can move in a powerful way. God, I pray that we will learn the secret of Sabbath. I pray that I will learn, learn it I will pray that I pray that I not just learn it, but I experience it, God. 
Help us to experience it, not just read about it. Thank you, Father.